Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Going to 1 Samuel chapter 16. We are on a series of The Crown. It's called The Crown. We are looking at three successive kings in the Old Testament. The first three kings that the Hebrew nation, Israel, the Israelite nation would have. And the first king we have dealt with, King Saul. And King Saul, his story largely consisted through the first book of Samuel. Last week we talked about his death, the demise, not only of a man, but of a kingdom. Um, his, uh, it wasn't doing well. When he finished, he was not doing well. The text that we have been enjoying has been from, uh, from James talking about where uh, we receive the crown of life. And so on that premise, we are looking at what can we learn as God gave the crown to these people. It's not about us being ahead of a nation. It's about us being all that he has called us to be in his kingdom. All that he has called us to be. And that's not when you die and it starts then. It starts right at the point of your salvation. When you make that decision, the commitment to follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you acknowledge him as Lord and you seek his forgiveness of your sins and to come into alignment under the Son, Jesus Christ, then that begins to call the kingdom God in your life and living it out on a daily basis. And so we have so much to learn from these kings. The lessons are... are Timeless, I think. We're going to be looking at the second king today, and we pick the early part of his story up. So I invite you to continue to read through this, Second Samuel, to read First and Second Kings. You will get a lot of information. But we're going to go back to First Samuel chapter 16, verse 1. First Samuel chapter 16, verse 1. And just follow along. We're going to read about 12 verses here. The Lord said to Samuel, Samuel's the prophet, How long will you mourn for Saul? Saul's dead. He was the old king. Since I have rejected him as king over Israel, fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Verse 4, Samuel Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel said, yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Verse 6, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Can we say that little part right together? The part where it says the Lord does not. Everybody together with one voice. I want to hear you. Everybody. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. 
People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. That's going to be our key. It's going to be our key here. Verse 8, then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Verse 10, Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. Verse 11, so Samuel asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? You can imagine the perplexion. God had said as one of the sons, and yet none of them. Are these all the sons you have? Jesse answered, there is still the youngest. How many here this morning, just pause. How many here are the youngest in your family? Okay. All the youngest, can we groan together? Oh, always get overlooked. Right. Oh, come on. I'm, I'm with you. Okay. So he asked, are these all you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. In other words, you better hurry up. Verse 12, so he sent for him, had him brought in. David was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise, anoint him. This is the one. So, Father, we just ask this morning, help us to understand the significance of this being in the sacred text. Help us to understand its relation, if it does, to us today. In your precious name, amen. So here we are with David. We're going to spend some time with David. David is one of my favorite guys in the Bible. David, uh, a fair chunk of the Psalms, you go to the middle of your Bible, the Psalms, a fair chunk of it is written by David. These are songs that David penned, poems put to music. Uh, David is considered the pinnacle king of Israel's history to this day. They call the city of Jerusalem even to this day Mount Zion, the city of David. So David is their king. He's the guy. He's the one that they will go back and think about their great days of David. This is the beginnings of David, and we're going to spend some time just talking about why David? Why this guy? Because I think this does relate. David, uh, the city of David, Mount Zion, uh, Israel has celebrated David as the king. The kingdom would become the greatest during this man's reign. And yet, it's a very, it's a very un pretentious beginning for this young man. He's not a son of a king. Uh, Saul's sons, remember last week, they all got killed in the battle. So there's no reigning heir from the lineage of Saul. But God, even before that moment, had already eyed up David. He queued up David and David was coming up. And this is the picture of the anointing on David's life the calling that God had given young David. We want to talk about David a little bit today. All this happens about 1,000 B.C., 1,000 years before Christ. A little red-headed boy. Apparently he was uh, ruddy in appearance, 
He was auburn complexion. Um, just a, a, a shepherd, a shepherd boy. So many relations when you think about even the song we just finished singing, Holy is the Lamb. And the picture of, of Jesus as the Lamb of God slain for the world. And the picture of shepherd that always goes with that. And it goes back, you see here, a picture of this little shepherd boy from a shepherd farmer. The farmer's name was Jesse. So you have the contrast. The contrast is the great statue of Saul. Apparently he stood head and shoulder above everyone else. He was very tall. Saul who looked kingly but who was drifting away from God at this moment in Samuel. And all this was taking place. The nation was watching things go down the tube. It looked like there was going to be no hope. They asked for a king. They begged for a king. They got a king. Saul was not the first choice. David was the first choice. If they had merely waited, but they couldn't, they brought Saul first. He was picked of man. God was a part of it, but... God had said early, this was not my first plan. David was his plan. So now the plan of God is unfolding. So while Saul is drifting off the scene, unbeknown to the people, and even David, God, God was shaping David. He's shaping. I, I love the picture of shaping, how God shapes us. He's shaping all of us. And you don't even realize it's happening. Saul is on the way down, drifting from God. God is quietly shaping the life of Jesse's eighth son, who would become the most visible figure in the history of Israel. God loves to shape you. It reminds me of this text in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It says in verse 26 from the Message Bible, it says, Take a good look, friends, at who you are, at who, at who, you were when you got called into this life. I don't see many of the brightest and the best among you, not many influential, not many from high society families. Isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses, chose those nobodies to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies? That makes it quite clear that none of you can get by with blowing your own horn before God. Everything that we have, right thinking and right living, a clean slate and a fresh start, comes from God by way of Jesus Christ. Amen. God uses the things that get overlooked. He uses the things that get overlooked. What was David doing in all of this? Well, he was simply keeping sheep. That was his job. He was to keep the sheep. So in the process of this simple arrangement, God begins an eternal plan. Samuel comes to Jesse and says, get the boys. God has a plan for one of them. Jesse gets all the boys and they get in a lineup. They all line up. And they line up starting at the oldest. Jesse begins, he goes before the oldest as we read just a moment ago. And God God, God is probably looking at just at Samuel's eyes lighting up and getting excited about, you know, the oldest, thinking, oh, yeah, he looks like a king. Because no doubt Samuel's comparing to the last one. And God says, nope, not him. Okay. Next, not him. You just imagine going down the line. I, I can picture it just going one to the next. 
to the next, to the next, third, fourth, fifth, and he finishes them. <laughs> and they're done. All this while David's out with the sheep. David's clueless what's happening back home. He's faithfully out just doing his job with the sheep. And while he's doing it, where he was with the sheep, don't know, we're not told. Someone runs to him because Samuel says, you boys stay in line, get the youngest. He was told he's out there in the sheep, in the sheep field. So he runs out, somebody runs out and gets and says, David, David, come quickly. I'm sparing you off. You got to get back. Quick, go, run. And David comes home, runs home. Was he told why? Maybe. We don't know. We do. But he runs home. He's a teenager. Walks into the, if it's outside in the house, we're not told. And again, he's just finished faithfully keeping the sheep. And suddenly he comes back home and he gets in the lineup. He sees the boys all lined up. He's at the end. He's probably not smelling nice. Is it safe to say he's been with the sheep? Okay, take it from a farmer. I grew up on a farm. He's probably not smelling nice. Didn't have time to clean up. Didn't have time to take shower in the river. You know, cut all that. He had to get in the lineup. There he's standing in the lineup. The other boys, they're all in the best of shape. David's not. Stands in the line. An old man hobbles over to him. Samuel's old by now. He takes out his flask of oil and blah, 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 over his head. <laughs> Mix a little oil with a little sheep smell and woo-wee, you got something going on. Perhaps old Samuel leaned into David's ear at that point and whispered, I, I imagine this anyway, and whispered, you're going to wear the next crown. I picture the scene. He's just been faithful out in the, out in the pasture, just doing his, doing his job faithfully. Forgotten by the rest. Called up. Didn't have time to prepare. The old guy comes over, anoints him with oil, and tells him, you're going to wear the next crown for the nation. What are the chances of that? And I pause because the... It would have been a very dramatic moment. And you'd think, well, what does David do right after that? <laughs> what do you do? You've just come from the fields, from being the lowest. You've just been told you're going straight to the top. You're getting a crown fitted for you. So what do you do with that? I mean, maybe you go to the best store in the city. And, I mean, you, you got to you got to get something that's going to be fashionable with the crown. You know, you got to get rid of those rags and what kind of priest or, or kingly robes can you find? And Maybe run off to the department store, get something really good. Maybe order some business cards. Uh, maybe get the best Arabian horse, get the best chariot. You're going to be wearing the crown after all. And yet the picture of this is when the day was done, David simply went back to the pasture and looked after the sheep. He received the blessing of God, the anointing of God on his life, and with grace went back to doing what he had always done, faithfully 
for the Lord. I want to use this as a point of reference this morning. You see, God loved David because he loved David's heart. And we get a picture of David's heart right here. We're talking of the crown. We're talking of your crown, my crown. We get a picture of David's heart because David's heart was be faithful wherever God has now planted you. Be faithful. Sometimes we're looking for that big whatever. How come we got bypassed? How come we got overlooked? Don't do that. The world does that. And there's a temptation to do that, to be like them, to compare. But where you are right now, in your setting, in your village, in your situation, God has a plan for you. Now, he might not make you the prime minister of Canada. I mean, honestly, if you ask me, would I want to be prime minister of Canada? He might not make you premier of Ontario. Would you really want to be? Or mayor of the town? Or head of a company? He may or may not. But where he has you and I planted, are you serving faithfully? Are you serving with excellence? Because the heart of David would cause him to serve where he served, giving it his absolute best. I remember when I was pastoring in a little tiny church, and a guy who came, he moved into the area. He was in ministry and had gone through Bible college, moved into the area. And after a few weeks, and, and I brought him on as a volunteer staff person. And I remember him saying to me, he says, he says you've got so many things planned. You, you make it like it's a mega church, and there's only a few people here. You make it like, like it's a mega church. All the work that goes into it. You, you don't have to put that much work into it. But yes, I do. Because whatever you do, you do with excellence. If you have one child in your Sunday school class or if you've got 20 children in your Sunday school class, will you serve them with excellence or not? If you've got 50 in your youth group or 5 in your youth group, will you serve them with excellence or not? Your heart... It's not determined by how many or how prestigious it is. David did not develop his heart after the crown was on his head. His heart was developed while he was serving faithfully out in the fields. And when the crown was told that it was going to eventually land on his head, he simply continued to be faithful in what he was called to do. So where has God called you? It's where you are, where you're planted. You bear your roots and you serve faithfully. You serve with diligence. You serve with excellence. And David was that kind of a leader. That's why God was attracted to David. I want to make some observations about David's early life. Here they are. Number one, God's ways often appear strange, so be open. They often appear strange. We can make God's ways so complicated I mean, you think about the complexities of the kingdom of that first king. Saul had made the kingdom very complex. But God simply tells Samuel, go where I tell you. And so instead of sitting down with all the scribes and all the, the great heads of the state, Samuel simply goes the direction God points him in, goes to a guy by the name of Jesse in a little town called Bethlehem. Don't think that's by accident. Bethlehem's kind of famous now, not because of David, but because of Jesus. And so in that, he just goes where God, simply goes where God says and says, there's the guy, he's one of his boys, and he just begins to go down the line, and 
God says, no, 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 no. Seven times, says, is there any more? Bring them in. Yes. Simplicity. Be open. God's ways often appear strange. Be open. Be open. Too many times we complicate it too much. God's told Samuel, go where I tell you. I've got a simple answer. Stay open to God's simple ways. Secondly, God works in sudden surprising ways. Therefore, be ready. Because when it happens, you won't be able to get ready. Stay in a constant state of readiness. David didn't know what hit him that day. He was just doing the faithful thing God had called David to do. And that was in the fields. God had been planning it for centuries. David didn't know. Why isn't it God? I've asked God a few times, God, why don't you let me in on the plans ahead of time? And he doesn't. Very seldom, anyway. Because he knows we'll probably bobble it and it'll go to our head and everything else. So he just doesn't let us in on the plans. So be ready. Be ready. God had been planning it for centuries. David didn't know, but he was ready. Thirdly, God's selections are always sovereign and sure. So be sensitive. Be sensitive. How easy it is to second-guess God. God is looking at our town. He's looking at the town you live in. He's looking at your neighbors and the neighborhood. He's looking at your place of work, where you work, the people you hang with. And he's looking at the people for whom he can say, you are mine, I want to use you there because you've proved yourself faithful there. You're there for a reason. Gene Edwards wrote a book a number of years ago called The Tale of Three Kings. And in that book, he talks of the isolation of Jesus. And I was pulling some points out of that when I was looking at this today. The isolation of David. I want to talk about how God shaped him. Because often we can compare how he shapes us. David was the youngest. We've already determined some of us here are the youngest in their family. And like David, I am the youngest. And I've come to understand that there are some distinctions that can happen when you're the youngest in the family. In David's day, uh, very little is expected of the youngest. <laughs> a lot is expected of the oldest, but very little is expected of the youngest. David displays fewer characteristics of leadership than his brothers would have. David was not the first guest for a leader. He's the youngest. I mean, if you're going to be a leader, you need to lead someone. When you're the youngest, you're often spending your lifetime following. So those youngest here, you can identify. You, you, you're told what to do. It's the older ones who get to tell you what to do. You don't get to tell them what to do. If you do, they don't listen anyway. And so as the youngest, you're used to being led. So normally you feel disqualified for leading others because you have not had experience in leading you often are led. So David experiences fewer characteristics of leadership than his brothers. I mean, he's not led. He's learned to follow. Considering that he's the youngest, he's not had opportunity to practice leadership skills. The seven older sons of Jesse worked near their father's farm, but the youngest is sent into the hills to graze the family's sheep. That's what the job of the youngest. And so therefore, 
You see God shaping him. You out there working. The older ones are working in more prestigious jobs near the homestead. So here we have the youngest son leaving home, working in the fields for his dad as the youngest, looking after the mundane task of the sheep, the family sheep. And uh, he carries with him just, you travel light when you travel from field to field. Basically, he's traveling with a slingshot and a small guitar-like instrument. That's basically David's suitcase. Spare time for shepherders are abundant. It's a boring job, shepherding sheep. The sheep just eat all day, comes out the other end, and then they sleep, and they get back up and do it all again another day. And they get back up the next day and do it all again. Day after day, week after week, month after month, there's nothing to write home about. It's nothing to get excited about. You know, if you had your phone, you're not taking a whole lot of pictures. They all start to look the same. Not a lot going on shepherding the sheep. This is what you do. And there's all kinds of spare time. It is downright boring. Sheep would graze for days on end. If you come to a good meadow, they would stay there for quite some time until they get it chewed down. Days would become weeks. It's a lonely job. Maybe David was fast becoming socially awkward. How do you be a a social person when all you've got is a bunch of sheep? (laughs) You know, you you need to be around some people if you're going to be a sociable person. We kind of learned that during this whole pandemic that those that struggled in social awkwardness became typically more socially awkward. During isolation. And David would have been isolated for great lengths of time. There's no one out there to befriend. The sheep. Yet this fact perhaps would rise up and cause him to maybe have a very sensitive heart about those that get lost in the cracks. Perhaps that situation caused him to understand the underdogs of society. You know, if everything goes your way and you're always in a crowd, sometimes you can so easily forget those that aren't, those that are forgotten. I wonder if that was all part of God's great plan for this crown wearer. In boredom, things happen. It could be bad, it could be good. For David, it was good. In boredom, he learned how to play his harp. He had all kinds of time. No one's hearing him. So he could make it screech all he wanted. He could be horrible all he wanted. The sheep aren't going to complain. And so he would play his harp. He would sing. And he could wail away as a teenager. Let his voice change and all that stuff. Wail away. He would play the harp. He would sing in isolation. His voice would change over the years. He would become strong in singing. He became an incredible singer. You can't read through the Psalms and not see it. His songs were heralded and are still heralded 3,000 years later. But he learned all that out in the fields. Let's not miss the fact. He learned it in the fields. And when these activities failed to comfort David, I can see David sitting down in the shade of a hot Israeli summer day, gathering up a pile of little stones and his makeshift sling, and one by one sliding them into his sling and The tree he was near, he would shoot to see if he could hit the tree. And he would continue to swing it and shoot it and hit the tree and learn how to 
hit that tree and after a while he would move farther away from the tree and still hit I mean he's bored to death after all he's shooting to hit the tree now he's going to aim maybe at a branch on the tree a little harder to hit and then eventually he would aim at a leaf blowing in the wind and he see if he could hit that leaf blowing you have to realize he was an expert with the sling but that came when he was out in the fields it came when he was in isolation it came when he was forgotten out there with nobody around. So no tree would have been safe in David's company. In David's loneliness, he also worked on something else. He worked on loving God through song. At nighttime, the sheep are all laying down. He has a fire. And there he is again, alone. Fire would be slowly embering out. He would pick up his heart, his harp and begin to break into quiet song into the evening. He would sing probably, they believe, ancient hymns of the forefathers. That's where it started. It started with what he knew. And he depleted all of them and thought he could maybe improve on a few parts of the song. And so he began to improve on them, create a new tune to some of the old lyrics. And on and on it went. Now he's creating new songs. Therefore, you get sing a new song came from David, sing a new song. He began to create new songs. He began to write them down and sing them out. He became an adamant praiser of God. Not just perfecting music, but being a worshiper until his praise would eventually reach the ears of God. When David was not worshiping God, he was tending sheep. We're not told how big the flock was, but every lamb was his responsibility. When not, not occupied tending the sheep, he would be swinging the sling. He would be telling the rock now where to precisely go. He was an expert on the sling. One day while he's singing to God, while he's uh, worshiping, he spies an enemy. It's a bear. We're told the story. The bear is making its way towards one of the lambs. I can picture the story. Would you picture it with me? David lunges from that moment when he spots the bear. Both of them are going to a projected object. There's a, there's a lamb, innocent lamb. The bear's heading towards it, and so is David simultaneously. Somewhere along the way, the bear and David notice each other. David's already seen the bear, but the bear now notices David. They now face off to each other because David's now a threat to the bear. Somewhere along, they find themselves now moving towards each other, facing each other. And even as he instinctively reaches into his pocket for that stone, the young man realizes, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. Impelled by the strength of youthfulness, the young man marries a rock to the leather. And soon, a brook-smooth pebble winds through the air and meets the charge of the bear. Moments later, he started a young man, but he emerges. He started a young man, he emerges a man that is confident. I could picture David as he had put down the bear, picks up the little lamb that was the object of all of this. David speaking into his ears. The little lamb wouldn't understand, but would understand the safety of the arms of the shepherd. Perhaps David saying something like this I am your shepherd. And God is my shepherd. And you're safe because God's mine 
and I'm yours. And so long into the night, he wove the day's saga, perhaps into a song. Maybe he wrote it into hymns, and he worshiped God. I take time to talk about David, because if we understand anything about the crown, it doesn't happen. Just because you're something you know, special in and of yourself. It's because God is fashioning you in wherever you find yourself. God is fashioning you. It has been said that what is done in darkness will come out in the light. And often that is reference to something bad. But, you know, it doesn't have to be. We seem to often believe that our sins will find us out. If all you do in the darkness is sin, then yes, your sin will find you out. But that's not all that happens in the darkness. I want to read from Psalms 119, David Psalms. Psalms 119, verse 62. The message says... David says, I get up in the middle of the night to thank you. Your decisions are so right, so true. I can't wait till morning. That came from David. I get up in the middle of the night to thank you. What did David do when others slept? He was worshiping God. Nighttime, he was worshiping God. He looked up into the starry hosts of the heavens and worshiped God. He could have been licking his wounds because he's not with the others in party town back home. He's out there worshiping his God, loving on his God. Acts chapter 16, what else? Verse 25, the message says, it was about midnight when Paul and Silas were at prayer and singing a robust hymn to God. The other prisoners couldn't believe their ears. When did it all happen? Midnight. Midnight. In the midnight hours, in the times where others might be looking to get into trouble. It could be your moment to find God. That's what they did. Midnight really is what you make midnight. We often think of the dark hours of our life when we gripe and complain, only longing for the good things, the bright things, but God will perfect you in your midnights. Maybe some of you have been in midnights. Maybe you're still in midnights. You will come to midnights, but let me suggest it is what you make it. Those lonely times, that isolation is not meant to punish you. It's a time to prepare you. To prepare you. God is more interested in preparation than punishment. And what you see is an end. God often says, now we can get started. Let God perfect you in those moments. After denying Jesus in the middle of the night, you know the story about Peter? He denied the Lord three times. Peter thought it was over. All that happened around midnight. But Jesus, but Jesus said, it's in those lonely times, Peter, that I was preparing you for Pentecost. When you thought it was the end, I was getting you ready for something, Peter. In the midnights of his life, Peter was in isolation, feeling alone. But Jesus was working out of Peter. He had to strain out some pride. He had to get out some arrogance out of Peter. Peter, he had to get some selfishness out of that disciple of his. And it took the midnight hours to get it out. And it did for David too. And it does for you and I. Those midnight times where we like to gripe and complain and compare. God is trying to prepare you for the crown. To wear the crown. If it had not been for the time in the wilderness, you couldn't handle the promised land. If David hadn't learned how to wear 
the shepherd's cap, he would never have known how to wear the king's crown. Whoa, you can write that one down. Isn't that a good one? If David hadn't learned how to wear the shepherd's cap out in the fields, the crown wouldn't have fit him. If you can't learn how to wear those things that you're presently going through or family members going through, you know, I really firmly believe that even as parents and as grandparents help that next generation in their midst. Don't, don't enable them. Don't entitle them. Help them to understand that in the midst of what's going, God is preparing and shaping them. Let them celebrate those times where things are not landing their way. That they are able to know that God is fashioning them instead of just trying to tell them they have rights. God was doing it for David, and we see that come to fruition. See your destiny is greater than your dilemma. Don't let your dilemma become greater than your destiny. Might the truth lie in the fact that if there is no dilemma, then there is no destiny. So I embrace the dilemmas I face because God is shaping me. God has set you apart so that you can perfect the tools that you will need in your destination. And instead of griping, maybe we should get on our face before God and pray in thanksgiving. Well, when Saul called for David to play the harp to soothe his spirit, we talked about that the last couple of weeks. When Saul called David up because David was tormented, when David began to play and the Spirit of God came in that moment, that wasn't the first time David picked up a harp. He had perfected it in the field. See how this flows? Long before David played for the king, he was playing for the king of kings. And he was able to bring the same worship into an experience right here. I've often believed when people are called to pray in public prayer meetings, you can often within a few seconds tell if they spent time in private prayer meetings. Because somebody, I remember, greater revivalist said, if you spend enough time in your private prayer meetings, you don't have to spend a whole lot of time calling down heaven in public prayer meetings. You can just call on dad and he's there because you're used to talking to him because you've already got a relationship going. Otherwise, you're trying to mine something up because it's just not there. And David was already there. He was playing before the king of kings before he ever went before Saul. That's why he got called up. Before the kingdom of Israel knew David's name, he had perfected his ministry in isolation. Before they were singing David's praises up and down the streets, David had already had encounters with God out in the field by himself. Before the kingdom sang his praises, he was worshiping in the meadows. You want to know why David... You want to know why David rejected Saul's armor at the battle of David and Goliath and Saul offered him his armor? He rejected the armor because that armor had never proven itself when David was in the fields. David was only going to go with something that had proven itself when he was by himself in the fields. David understood that God was going to meet his needs God's way. If David didn't need fancy armor in the lonely hours in the field then it's only going to be dead weight when he stands before the giants of today. Before the Hebrew writer ever told a church to set aside every sin and weight, David was already proving it worked. He already proved you can do it. We could take it a step further. When David picked up his sling when he went into that great battle, and we love the story of David and Goliath. Remember as a kid, my favorite story. 
David and Goliath. But before he ever picked up that sling to take down Goliath, it wasn't the first time he tried out that sling. (laughs) Years before David had defeated a giant, it was trees, it was branches, it was a leaf, it was a bear, it was whatever. David was defeating them long before he stood before the big Goliath that day. Beloved, don't get hung up on the philosophy that God guided that stone. I've heard that over and over. And I don't, I, don't, I don't speak that. That God guided that stone. I propose to you today, God guided the shepherd boy. It was the boy he was guiding. And because the blessing was on the boy, the blessing's on everything he touches. You following? If the blessing's on you, don't look for that great, wonderful, heroic thing that's going to happen. It's you. Is God pouring in you? Are you that person that he is speaking to? God granted David. He took him and graduated him from trees to targets to bears, lions, giants. It's just the next, just the next, 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 perfected out in the fields. God was guiding David long before that stone left the sling. What do you think gave David the faith and confidence to think he could take on a giant? I mean, you read that story. Such confidence in that kid. Arrogance. It looked like arrogance to everybody else. But it was confidence because it was the time he had spent in isolation. God guided David in times of isolation so David could stand in times of admiration. It never went to his head. And if you get admiration before isolation, it will lead to devastation. Let him perfect you in the difficult times, in those hard times. You're wondering why you're going through what you're going through? Well, perhaps, perhaps God is preparing you. Would you let him? You say, Pastor, it's been forever. It's been a long, long time. Well, I suggest one of two things are happening. Either there is a great destiny awaiting you, or you are not working on the things you should be. If David had never picked up his heart his harp in the times of isolation, God would never have asked him to play. If he had never picked up the sling in the times of isolation, God would never have put him before Goliath and spared a nation. If he had never sung those songs in the midnight hours before God and God alone, God would never have anointed him to write many of the psalms that we sing and worship today. God didn't get to know David in the palace. God got to know David in the pasture. And the crown is not the moment it lands on your head. The crown is when you know God loves you. And wherever you are and whatever you're going through, God is with you. And you embrace what God wants to do. So the question is, is where are you today? Is God able to to move through you? If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, then why don't you commit your life to Jesus? Now, if I was to ask how many here have committed their life to Jesus, and you are, you're just saying, yes, I want more of this, I imagine a number of hands would go up. But there might be some here this morning who have not made that decision to follow Jesus. It's a decision you make. Not every person on planet Earth is a child of God. We are part of God's creation. But you must now make that decision because all have sinned. You must make the decision. Lord, I now, because of my sin, I know I'm separated from that relationship that you've destined me for. So God, 
Forgive me. Cleanse me through Jesus so that I might follow you. To embrace him as Savior is to embrace him as your Father. So let's pray. Father, I pray that, God, you would complete what you've begun here this morning. As we've looked at this life, we embrace what you want to do in our own hearts and our own lives. Lord, help us to understand something about the power of the crown. It's not when the crown has landed on our head. It's about what you're doing in our isolation, about when you're doing in those midnight hours, about when you're doing when we're overlooked. It's about what you're doing in our situation right now where you've placed us and planted us, that, God, we can find you. But, Lord, I pray for anybody here today. Maybe there's some who just really need to make a decision this morning, a decision towards you. God, I pray that you would help us to do that. I'm going to ask as every head is bowed and every eye is closed. Just for the next minute, if you can just keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed, just myself looking. Here's the question I have for you. If you're here this morning and you've not invited Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. Now, if you've done this and you've meant it, you don't need to respond to this request here. But if you're here this morning and you've not asked Jesus, Jesus, come into my heart, save me. It's by faith you're saved. It's not by work. You can't earn this. You can't earn it because you're a sinner. You can't earn it. Jesus is the only one through him. But by faith in Christ, you can come into this miraculous relationship of salvation. If you're here this morning and you're saying, Pastor, pray for me. I want Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I want to be called a son of God, a daughter of God. I want him as my Lord, my Savior, my Master. If that is you and you've not done that before, as every head bowed, eyes closed, I want to pray for you. There might be one or two people and I don't want to go on before. If that is you, would you lift your hand and I will pray for you this morning. If there's anybody here who wants to make Jesus your Lord and Savior, raise your hand. Quickly. Anyone? Yes, thank you, sir. Anyone else? Anyone else? Thank you, sir. Anyone else? Okay, you can place your hand down. Let's pray this prayer together. Those that raise it, would you just make it, pray it from the bottom of your heart. Father God, everybody just pray this prayer together. Father God, I come to you in the name of Jesus. Thank you for your son who gave his life for my sins that I don't bear that sin to death, but I might have a restored relationship back to the Heavenly Father. I declare Jesus as Lord. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Wash my sins from my heart. I now give you my heart. I give you my life. I choose to serve you. And to be a son and daughter of God. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you made that prayer for the first time, please uh, talk to myself, talk to Daniel, talk to uh, BJ, our drummer, talk to one of us. We'd be glad, Lori, we'd be glad to give you some information, some material. But here's the last thing I want to do before we go is uh, I want to pray a prayer of... of um, of embracing, I don't know what's the word I'm trying to grab here, that you would embrace where you are now, that God would perfect his plan in you right where you are. And I don't, I don't mean in the seat you're in. I'm talking about your home, if you're going to college, if you're in university, if you're in high school, if you're in public school, if you in your workplace, in your community, your neighborhood that God has placed you, in your family unit, okay? I, where God has placed you, 
that he would perfect his plan in you in the place. Now, you're probably already believing, a number of you are, but there's something about if we're going to study the crown, the power of the crown, it's that, God, we embrace you, that we would be a worshiper in the midst of our circumstances. We would, we would give excellence in the area in which we are serving, not just enough to get by. We would not allow ourselves just to go with the crowd. We would be that man, that woman that God has placed there for this season for his glory. And I want to pray that prayer of you. So can we stand together? I'm going to just bless you with this prayer. Can you just lift a hand or both hands? I want to pray this prayer of blessing. So Father, I just pray a blessing on each person whose hand is lifted up. That as we go from here, send us out as a bunch of Davids into our pastures, into our places of isolation, that, God, we would be used of you. Not about us, it's about you. And, God, perfect your plans in us. The people we're with, the worship that you will bring through us, we pray blessings on the hands to bless others. We pray blessings on our feet. Take us to where you want us to go. Blessings on our ears. Help us to hear your words. Blessings on our eyes. We would see what we normally can't see. Blessings on who we are that we would be everything you've called us to be. Let it be upon each one as we go from here. In Jesus' name. And if you receive that, say amen. 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 Let it be. Let it be upon your life. The Lord bless you. Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.